Hey, this is Mo Maduro with the Life Expansion After 50 podcast. So today we're talking about relationships. So relationships is the first one on the right side, relationships, professional, and then financial. And I like to say that everything we want that we don't have is controlled by somebody else. Now, a lot of people may struggle with that because we get into this thing, I can do anything that I want to do. But when you really look at it, there's transactions all the time. There's relationships that we have. By looking at it that way, you see the value of investing time and energy into those relationships. It's not something that you want to be expedient about. I know I've, I've been in situations where a person's first reaction was to just lie. If, if there was something that they didn't like the way it was going and they wanted to go, they would just lie. That would just be the thing. I've seen this in business. I've seen it into interpersonal relationships. They're not really, in their mind, thinking that they're doing anything bad. They just think it's just the way that you do it. You're, or the end justifies the means. And it's pretty sad. And so when you see that, obviously, those are people that I don't hang around or I don't keep around because it's just not going to end well. We want to be more thoughtful in terms of our relationships. Now, there are two books, I think, written last century, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It's a great book. I think everyone should read that book. And then the other one is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And three of those habits, seek first to understand before being understood, win-win, and then synergy. Three of, at least three of them have a direct bearing on relationships. I think be proactive gets into relationships as well because you're not going to let things fester. He talks about the circle of influence and the circle of concern. So we want to do the things that we can influence, but the things that is just our concern, we're not going to try to control that. You can't control other people. And I want to make the comment that, yes, the books were written last century, but our brain is, in some cases, over a million years old. The youngest parts, as I said, are a couple hundred thousand years old. It hasn't changed enough to suggest that the books written last century don't, don't matter. These are great books. They actually do the job. They do the job of explaining it very well. If anything, with technology, it's, it accelerates it. It magnifies it. So if you're doing... If you got some bad habits from a relationship standpoint, the technology magnifies it. I mean, just think about social media. If you look at Gen Xers and Boomers, our private life was our private life. Our relationship was our relationship. Look at Millennials and Gen, Gen Z. Everything is out there for the world to see. The good, the bad, and the ugly. While the principles are the same, technology may accelerate and magnify the impacts of it, which is, makes it even more important to, to be careful with their relationships. I think that's why we see more of the triggering happen. We see more of the anxiety happening just because of how, how much is magnified. One of the principles that I think is worth mentioning is pausing one and a half to three seconds before you respond. And when you do that, sometimes you'll find that the other person just keeps talking and talking and talking. And that's not a bad thing. People need psychological air. And if you've ever been in that situation, there's a few things that sometimes happen. One is the person talks and then they thank you for having them talked it out because they solved whatever was on their mind or they feel so much better they've gotten it off their chest. Pe people need psychological air. And if you think about this term psychological air, and I use the example of someone drowning in a pool or panicking in a pool, they don't care about anything else but being saved at that moment. So when you think about psychological air, this thing is so intense, it's so on them, that they just need relief. And sometimes listening to them is, is what it takes. The other thing is we, we hear about paraphrasing, right? But there's another level of that. And it's not just paraphrasing. 
it's feeling the feeling. It's reflecting the feeling that you're experiencing. And now we know that we can do that because we have the mirror neurons. Now, the mirror neurons were just discovered in the 1980s, which was around the time that that book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, was written, certainly well after Dale Carnegie's book. But with the mirror neurons, we can actually feel those emotions that the other person is experiencing, and we can reflect that back on them. It's deep listening. It's really deep listening, and you'll find that it really helps. And if you're a leader or a manager, we want to make sure we lean into this listening and this reflective listening with, with empathy because employees or team members, they need to be seen. They need to be heard. They need, they, they need to know that you see them. It's part of the self-determination theory. People want to know that they can become competent at the work. They want to have re relatedness. They want to have a relationship and be seen and be known and have interactions. And they want a certain amount of autonomy. And by listening to them, you can lean into what it's going to take to help that person get to that next, next level. I also like this other statement that says the highest form of discrimination is treating everybody the same. And you got to get your head wrapped around that one at first, but you recognize, and it goes along with this enhanced version of the golden rule, which is instead of doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, take it to the next level and do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Because everybody has different needs. If you look at the four styles or you look at the Myers-Briggs with the 18 different preference sets, People have different needs, and they're looking for different things. And if you can tap into what makes them tick, and a lot of times it's, it's leaves out of your vest. You're giving something that doesn't cost you anything emotionally, but it's doing a lot for them. I think this is really missed with salespeople, and I could be wrong. I've been in a, quite a few different sales situations watching leaders, and I think this idea that because the salesperson is on commission, especially if they're making the big bucks, they're on commission, and so there's this feeling that oh, they're already compensated, they're paid to, to go through that crap. And what I've typically observed is that these salespeople are great with customers, but then when they're talking or interacting with their sales manager or upper management, there's so much vitriol there. They just are angry, and it's because the, the way I see it is the emotion has to come out somewhere. They can't let loose on a customer because they need the commission. So all that gets bottled up, and then they lash out at, at management, and I've said before that how you treat your people has a direct effect on how they treat customers. So if you want better customer sat numbers, treat your people better. I think this is really true in, the, in some of the, the high-pressure sales environments because it's all pressure, 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 and this idea, well, I'll just replace you, and that doesn't do anything to help that person along. We know that salespeople and sales managers leave money on the table all the time and in terms of bonus or commission. We don't see salespeople maxing out their commission month after month after month. We don't see sales managers maxing out their bonus month after or quarter after quarter. They leave money on the table. And sure, you can get to it by adding more incentives, but at the end of the day, it takes emotional juice to get those next levels, right? It's like 80% of the work is done with 20% of the effort, but that last 20% takes a lot of work. So when you're talking about maximizing bonuses, there's a lot of emotional juice that's needed. And if you're a manager or a leader and you're taking away from people, you're not helping. What you want to do is find out what their needs are, find ways to prop them up, find ways to support them so they're going after that thing with some, some gusto. You don't want to have a negative conversation at the beginning of a day 
when they've got a big day ahead of them with sales. If you've got some bad news to talk about or something that's not so positive, wait till the day's over. I know we don't want people going home with that, but you also don't want to mess up their day. They're planning on making some sales, which is what everybody wants. They're paid to make sales. They're not paid to take crap. And the taking crap is where the emotional energy gets used up. And so you want to make sure that you're removing as much of that angst as possible. And then when it doesn't work out, they know it too. They know it before you do or as soon as you do. And it's an easy conversation to have if it comes time to deselection. But you don't want to be threatening that stuff all along because they have other choices. Once they think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, once your physical insecurity needs are met and your love needs are met, the next one is esteem. So as long as you're making enough money to, to have enough of that esteem, you're not in the bottom third, you got enough esteem, you can go on and have a good night's sleep and have some fun on the weekend and not worrying about making sales. And that's why I talk about it as the emotional juice. In order to get through that esteem and then into that self-actualization, the only way you're going to have people operating in self-actualization is when they can be associated with that purpose and it's tied into them, what their heart says. And if you're taking the emotional juice from them, if you're draining them, if you're not moving towards that self-determination theory, the relatedness, the competence, and the autonomy, and having that part of, the, part of your, your, your toolbox, so to speak, you're not going to have people operating at their highest level because that last 20% takes 80% of the effort and is just too much for people to do day after day after day. And we do have those high producers, and we know that those high producers sometimes can be very high strong. Some organizations have names for them. It, it's kind of making the point that it takes a lot of emotional energy, and the reason why they're difficult to deal with is because it has to come out somewhere. So relationships are important. Everything we want is controlled by somebody else. The way we get what we want is to help more people get what they want. And we are all interconnected. Whether you believe in the collective consciousness or not, you have to see how we're interconnected. And if you come in having a bad day, you can change the entire tone of the room. And that's not fair. It's not fair to the other people to do that. People need to be listened to. They need to be heard. And people really appreciate it uh, when you can reflect and really show them that you're listening. When I was focused on building high-performing teams, I would spend time talking to people about their purpose and what makes them tick and what's important to them. And it's amazing how one conversation, one 45 to 90-minute conversation with a person about what's important to them will carry for months and months and months. And they would describe me as a good listener. I don't think I was a very good listener. I did have to work on it. But because that time I listened intently and really wanted to understand them, and the, I mean, the, let's face it, I needed to do that to build a high-performing team. You build a high-performing team by tying what the needs are as closely as possible to their self-actualization and their purpose. And so I had to listen intently to be able to do that. It was selfish. But what I learned is how they associated with that and they never let it go. So it became a thing to do, and I passed it on to you. If you're a leader, make sure you take some time in the beginning to get to know your people. And I don't mean just get to know, like, do they like fishing or horseback riding. Understand what they would do if they knew they couldn't fail. What's the one thing that they want to do before they leave this planet? You know, these kinds of things. And I will tell you that you will find responsibilities 
that get close to what they're looking for and they become an obvious choice. And when you can start doing that with some, some consistency, then you're onto something. So I'll leave it there, Will. That's a nice lead into the next section, which is the professional area. We'll talk soon.